Welcome to Uncommons. I'm Nate Erskine-Smith, and on this episode, I'm joined by Jan Arden, a Canadian music icon and, more relevant for this conversation, a committed advocate to improving the lives of animals. Now, Jan is best known, of course, as an award-winning singer and songwriter. She's won too many awards to count, and she's recently been inducted into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame. She's also the star of the CTV sitcom appropriately named Jan, based on a fictionalized version of her own life. On top of all that, Jan is a fierce defender of animal rights, and she is currently working with the Canadian Horse Defense Coalition to call for an end to the live export of horses from Canada for slaughter, a cruel practice that is, on the science, impossible to manage humanely. You can find out more about the campaign, support the campaign, sign petitions at horseshit.ca. Jan, thanks so much for joining me. I'm happy to be here, Nate. What is horseshit? Gosh, good question. I know your listeners are like, what? Boy, this is starting out hot out of the gate. (laughs) It is a campaign. My very clever, wonderful marketing friend, Wendy Williams-Watt, said, Jan, you have to capture people's attention, get people's attention, and, you know, make it a little bit jarring. Horseshit is the live export of large draft horses that takes place from three Canadian airports, Edmonton, Calgary, and Winnipeg, on a somewhat regular basis. And they are shipped in four at a time. So these are horses that are 17 hands high. Picture the Budweiser horses, if you if that gives you a better idea. The beautiful big Budweiser horses. Four of those very young, healthy horses are crammed into wooden crates. And uh, believe me, they don't want to go. And they are shipped in a 747 by... Korean air to a small island off the coast of Japan. So it's considered Japan, but it's not Japan, the main island. And there they face a very sad end. They are slaughtered for sushi meat. It's called bashimi. And that's why they want live horses. And that's why they want big horses and big musculature. So Horseshit is the campaign that we have started It is a website, horseshit.ca, that directs people to a petition to help us with, you know, buying merch, to donate information on what it is, why it happens, who is doing it, and that we want it stopped. And how did you get involved in this campaign? About, gosh, over 10 years ago, a wonderful veterinary friend of mine, Judith Sampson French, got me involved with trying to get them to stop culling the wildies. And the wildies are, of course, an assortment of horses here on the eastern slopes of the Rocky Mountains in Alberta. And um, their origin is is a, is a vast number of places. But anyway, they, they run wild. They're in herds. And every year, the Canadian government believes that their numbers need to be trimmed down. These horses already die by the dozens. Their winters are hard. They don't have access to enough food. They have a really rough go of it as it is, but they come in and they pay ranchers to go in and round them up and uh, and kill them. They go to the Bovary Slaughterhouse. So I got involved with her there to try and, you know, just to stop it. Basically, the petroleum industry and the cattle industry found them to be a nuisance and that they were this was this is a real kicker for me that they were ruining the land. These are two of the most destructive industries on the planet, fossil fuels and large mammals that are being raised for human consumption. Amazon forests are being now brought down to raise cattle. So it, it it's it's very 
it's teeming with hypocrisy, but because of my involvement with her and those horses, we were successful to a degree, I suppose. She just said, well, if you want to know what else is going on in Canada, and I'm like, oh my God, Judith, please just stop now. And she told me about something that's been happening in Canada since 2006. And that is the transport of the large draft horses to Japan. And that's sort of my involvement. She, she was like horse export 101. And I, like millions of other Canadians that are kind of starting to be aware of it, I just was like, what? I never knew this. So it's been a very clandestine, done in the dark. These flights go out at four o'clock in the morning. The loads are done in the late evening. The building is wrapped. Uh, it's, it's like wrapped in saran wrap. So you can't see anything really. It is very secretive and it's secretive because they don't want us to know what's going on. And that's the simple truth. And you aren't just a celebrity tweeting in support of a cause. You have, as you described to our Animal Welfare Caucus, you have gone in person and borne witness. Yes. And it is difficult. Uh, I think we've all come across things in social media that oh, we can't shut it off soon enough. We just, well, whatever, animal welfare across the board, around the world, whether it's primates or giraffes being slayed or trophy hunting with beautiful lions being brought down. I mean, we are now very used to this narrative of animals being misused, abused, you know, thoughtlessly killed. And so when, you know, in order for things to change, you do have to bear witness, Nate. And so I've been up to the airport three times. First time I cried my head off. I'm I'm not a tough person. I might seem like I have a tough exterior, but it, when it comes to any kind of cruelty, and that goes with, with human beings as well. Uh, nobody wants to see any living thing be hurt, abused, marginalized, yelled at, tortured, eaten. You know, I just cry, stood there and cried and I thought, I can't, I can't be effective and just stand here and cry. I've got to do something. And from that first visit to the airport where I watched the load, I watched, you know, these men that are, you know, working for the man, trying to put food on their table, the five or six of them that are responsible for the loads. The horses are already traumatized coming off the trucks. They, they know something bad is happening. Equine animals are, they, they flee, they're flight animals. The smallest thing scares a horse. And I mean a mouse moving to the right a little too quickly can scare a very large horse, you know, to the point where he, he's unable to even function. That's what horses are. They're ultra sensitive. So they're whacked with sticks because they don't want to go very hard. And now they're in the crates. They, they load them like at seven o'clock at night and um, they sit there for 12 hours, crapping on each other, peeing on each other, no food, no water. And then they're loaded onto the planes. And in Calgary, like right now, it's 20 below here. And there's rumor of another load that's going to be happening here in the next six or seven days. We don't know for sure yet. But, you know, the weather is supposed to be like this for a long time. So they'll be standing out on the tarmac. I'm sure there'll be delays with the flights. Who knows how long that could be. Then they're loaded onto the planes. They have no idea what's happening to them. And off they go for a... 15 hour journey to wherever they're, they're headed. And, um, a lot of, there's a lot of deaths on the flights. They don't have to report because the responsibility, the Canadian government now just washes their hands of that. And they say that once they're airborne, it is now the responsibility of the importing country. 
So it's just a loophole. It's a way for these exporters to not have any responsibility, not having to report on deaths. I've been on hundreds of international flights and I have been, I have held hands to perfect strangers in turbulence, you know, because I'm a really good flyer. I'm just like, we're going to make it. Planes are built for this. (laughs) I can't hold the hand of a horse. And you can drop a very large aircraft in 30 or 40 seconds, 5,000 feet. And it is a horrendous feeling. And if you're not strapped down to a a seatbelt, that's why they say when you're in your seat, you keep your seatbelt on. And it's because of turbulence that just come out of nowhere. So now these horses are very often crumpled on top of each other. Now, this whole thing is going on. And there's a group of men that are telling us that this is humane and this isn't that bad for the horses this is okay, this is acceptable loss. They just want to get them across the line alive and then they get paid. It's a very sinister part of Canadian ag. And as I was talking to you when when we got together at the caucus a few weeks back, which was, thank you so much for inviting me to that. It was was very positive and uplifting and we feel like we we have allies in, in in our trek, you know, to get this stopped. You're only as good as the worst guy in your band. And this is part of Canadian agriculture. It falls under the food supervision in this country. So this this falls under that part of the Canadian government. It's the food chain. You know, the, the part of government that's responsible for how Canadians perceive their food, where they get it, where the, if the line is safe and healthy and well, if we're getting proper nutrition. I mean, all those things play into it. And so these horses are, they're part of agriculture. They're part of raising cattle or wheat or fields or how how we get our food. And so it's so bizarre because we're not eating. That has nothing to do with us. They're being shipped to, you know, a lifetime away to a group of rich people. It's a very expensive undertaking. Obviously, when when, uh, these exporters are willing to pay you know, $300,000 to get these flights up and running. Can you imagine the fuel involved in getting a 747 to Japan and the crew and the the clearance of the flights and the, the gates at the airports? Like they're making millions and millions and millions of dollars of something really, really terrible. And it's our responsibility as human beings, as the wardens of the animals on this planet to at the very least treat them kindly. And to be their stewards of, of treating them kindly. We've mentioned the Animal Welfare Caucus meeting. You weren't the only guest. We also had an animal law expert. We also had an animal science expert. And of course, then the Canadian Horse Defense Coalition. But I was struck when we were listening to the animal science expert, Rebecca Ledger. She refers to 60 some odd peer reviewed journal articles and says, this isn't about improving the rules because There is no way, as far as the science is concerned, that you can ship these horses in this way for these excessive distances without causing them great distress. Mm -hmm. No, it's impossible. Like I was saying earlier, these are flight animals. These are animals that are very, very frightened by, by things that they're not sure of. The way a horse sees, it's very, you can see that their eyes are very set on the outsides of their heads. They can't see straight ahead of them. They have to kind of turn their head to see. So it's that, that's a, that's a, that's a problem when you're, when you're moving these animals around. 
And the fact that they're incredibly smart and the fact that these, these horses are considered pets. And my, you know, my plea to people, not only in Western Canada, but across this country, I say to them, you know, are we horse people or are we not? And we have to decide that. This country was built on the back of horses. You know, I saw my grandfather, you know, one time in his life upset, my, my great grand, you know, and, and it was because he had to bury his horse. Uh, you know, the, a longtime companion, this a thirty-year-old horse. You know, we we line the streets of the Calgary Stampede every July, hundreds of thousands of people, to see horses decorated, washed and primped, and manes and tails braided. And the, this province makes hundreds of millions of dollars on tourism because of the horse, because of the Western culture, and so now, but but. You know, all that aside, we think that it's okay to not only breed these horses. So these horses, these draft horses, people are always asking me, but where do they come from? They're bred. They, they have massive feedlots. There's a Llewellyn feedlot, uh, Mr. Llewellyn, that owns several feedlots in Alberta. But they are disgusting places where they tromp around in their own crap, their own pee. You know, they're just fed long enough to get them big enough. They have wounds and infections, none of them are given veterinary care because horses that are bred for human consumption can't have drugs in them. And if if they do, they can't use them. So these horses are already suffering without the care that they need. And they're never free. They're, they're, in, they're just in crap. And there's thousands of them. If you went by these lots and they per, they have pickup trucks that go around their lots all the time, they don't like people taking pictures. They don't like people looking in. Like, I know they're aware of me and I know they're aware of what we're doing now. And it has been suspiciously quiet. I really do think for the first time in the last, you know, 20 years, they're actually getting nervous about being stopped. Well, to that point of how the government would go about stopping this practice. There's a fairly straightforward change in the law that ought to be made. But for the government to go off and do that, I have raised animal issues in Parliament since I was elected in 2015. And I can tell you that the government is not going to act on animal issues unless citizens demand that action and are very vocal in demanding that action. When I posted a picture from our animal welfare caucus meeting. And I had a, a family, I, she's my aunt Jane, but she's not really my aunt, but she's my aunt Jane. And yes. she reached out to say, you have to do something about this, Nate. And so I, I felt like there is a growing, very much so a growing call for action. And, and, and partly thanks to your work, partly thanks to the, def- the Canadian horse defense coalition, but, and partly just thanks to animal advocates generally where animal issues are increasingly of greater concern, but have you seen in the horseshit campaign, an increasing level of support? It, it has grown exponentially, Nate. The, the awareness, the concern. The company, it's called Shorno. They moved up from, from the United States in 2005, 2006, when horse slaughter uh, or the export was banned there. And it was because of an outcry of the public. So they just moved lock, stock, and barrel, and they bought land in southern Alberta, and they moved their operation here. And now these poor American horses are just being shipped across the border. And, and so I asked Canadians this, too. In the last year, we've all had to make grave sacrifices, losing jobs, 
you know, canceling trips. Is this an essential service? Is this an essential service with borders that are closed for, for only things that we really deem necessary? These horses are coming up with truck drivers, with people that are moving them, with handlers, and they're bringing horses in a time of COVID where we, where the science is telling us that diseases that are affecting human beings all over the planet are caused by animals. They're, they're transferring themselves from animals to people. So does the do Canadians want in this time of uncertainty to be bringing animals horses across the border that have no veterinary papers. When I travel with my goddamn dog, Nate, I have to show, you know, the guys going across the border that Mitty has had all her shots, that she's got her rabies shots. You know, when I go through security and when I enter into the United States, I'm asked a series of questions about my five pound dog. When these horses come up, they are waved through. They have no papers. They have no blood testing of what they have in their system. And they're brought to these feedlots and then they're shipped over there. You mentioned the connection between animal mistreatment and the way we exploit animals and pandemic risk. And we can talk about the impacts on climate change. And, and you've mentioned losing rainforest because of industrial animal agriculture, but there is a growing body of evidence. There's a report from the United Nations Environment Program in July. There are a series of reports now from experts that have said we need to reduce our meat consumption. We need to end our exploitation on an industrial level of animals to reduce pandemic risk through a One Health approach. And I wonder sometimes when we look at these single issue campaigns, and I've gone through this process myself. And, and I heard you in the Animal Welfare Caucus meeting saying this isn't about anything else other than stopping the live export of horses. And I think that's right. Be very narrow, be very specific, and let's get this done for the sake of these horses. But then we take a step back. And I do think as we talk about these single issue campaigns and why we care about them, it's because animals feel, they love, they, they think, they deserve our compassion and our respect. And I do think we have to emphasize as much as we are focused on a single campaign, we do have to emphasize the broader issue that we across the board are mistreating animals in our society. Oh, absolutely. But in order for us to be effective, and when I first got involved with the Canadian Horse Defense Coalition, they were trying to tackle so many issues and they weren't getting any traction. People were so confused by their campaign. You know, they, they just, there was just too many moving parts. And I said, I want to be involved, but we have to have laser focus to get this exporting stopped because, you know, it is, it's a fistful of guys. It's five or six guys that are making $25 million every year, very quietly to the detriment of these horses. It's just wrong. So we're responsible for that. But yes, on a bigger scale, meat isn't sustainable. Industrial farming isn't sustainable at all. It's, you know, we, we are, we are cutting down trees that are the lungs of this planet to make way for large grazing animals that we use to feed people. The, the hypocrisy is that the land that could be growing, you know, if you find, take the trees down, it's, it's, it's the deed is done. You're not going to have them back for 40 years, right? When's the best time to plant a tree? Well, 50 years ago, that's the best time. So now you're dealing with an industry that that land could be feeding 10 times the amount of people that are getting nutrition from that one steak from a cow. And, you know, don't even get me started on, on the treatment of pigs in this country, these massive industrial farms. It is so disgusting what's happening with pork and what's happening with these 
the the gestation crates. You know, Canada once again fails miserably internationally and globally. You know, they've pushed the gestation crate ban forward. So that was supposed to happen imminently. And now they're like, well, we're just not ready. We, you know, we, we need some more time. And these are pigs that are bred over and over until literally their uteruses fall out of their bodies. They are exhausted and then they're killed and eaten and they don't move. And they're like, well, you know, they'll damage their piglets. Well, they wouldn't damage their piglets if they were in a pen with some hay and that they could move around. It is so criminal what's happening. I don't know what Canadians think. We, we, we are very behind in animal welfare laws. And I don't know why. I don't know how we got into this place where people think, and even when they know now, they know what happens to a pig. They know what happens to a cow. There's a, a place very close to here, Bovary once again. They, they slaughter 4,000 cows a day. Do you know what that looks like? Do you know what that looks like to slaughter that many animals a day? It's, it's, it's a terrorizing. It is so awful. People know it and they, they, they override their, their instincts of compassion and caring to eat that. They override it. That's why it's important to bear witness. If those were glass buildings, no one would be eating meat. Nobody. And it's the tragedy, not only of the cruelty, but of the lax enforcement not even enforcement, it's the absence of any real rules where we have this voluntary, we have this voluntary set of rules. And so you allow the National Farm Animal Care Council simply to say, well, you know what, gestation crates, yes, we made a commitment to phase them out by a certain date. Now we're gonna actually kick that back by another five years and for farming, yeah, we'll, we'll kick that back. And how is that legal? Where, 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 where's the legal part of this, Nate? Where's the legal responsibility from the government? You know, is it so necessary and and are they just so blinded by monetary gain? And that's all it is. It's money. They're doing things to these pigs with no anesthetic. They're cutting tails off with a paring knife like they're peeling a potato. it, It is very widespread. And that's why when you're looking at live horse expert, it is the tip of a very large, unpleasant iceberg. And if anyone thinks that I like seeing this stuff or watching it, it haunts me and it will all my life. Like I've, I've not slept really well in months because I just get thinking about it. But I also know, you know, I'm 58 years old. I'm going to drop dead at some point myself, but I'm <laughs> going to spend the rest of my life trying to make a difference. And it's not because of legacy or anything like that. It is because it doesn't matter if it's legal. It doesn't make things right. And people know that. They know that in their hearts. They know what's ethical. And if they don't start making better choices, that's something they're going to have to live with. But I'm not going to be part of the problem. I'm going to be part of the solution. And I will spend the rest of my life trying to fix this system. And if I hear one more shut up and sing or do that, I have every right. Yeah. I have every right to be political. I have every right to express. I find it much easier to fight for animals than I do for people. Far from shut up and sing and this notion of having a right to a voice, I actually think 
when you have a platform as you do, I have a much smaller platform, but I have a platform all the same. And I, I've gone through the same thought process of how am I going to direct my advocacy to be most effective? And what are my responsibilities with the platform that I do have to ensure that I am raising attention to and defending the interests of those who don't have the same voice as others? And I, that's why, you know, via I've seen your Twitter feed, but I've seen you be very vocal and public. And I think it's really important that people with that platform exercise it in that way. Yeah, I'm making waves and people are becoming aware and we're making people uncomfortable. They don't want to give up that 25 million. They don't want to give it up. And what does that say about the heart of a man that would literally look the other way of something that is so terrified and so abused? You know, I know we can't even begin to address domestic horse slaughter. We're, we're one of the three top horse slaughter countries on the planet. And Canadians might find that hard to believe too, but we are. And we have to take a look at a system that's really flawed. And this is the time to do it. COVID has cracked open the world. Long-term care facilities, homelessness, animal welfare has come to the top of the barrel. It doesn't get there very often because there's lots of inhumanity in the world. There's wars, there's poverty, there's famine, there's genocide, there's human beings are struggling. There's a lot of horrible things happening for people in the world. But animal welfare for this moment has floated up to the top of really what the world is looking at. How do we stop getting these diseases? Animal welfare, animal welfare. There's this red light that's been plopped on the top of a mountain and it's spinning around like alert, alert, alert. And so we have an opportunity here to start fixing. If we're going to eat animals, you know, and I think those days are numbered to, to this point. I think the kids are changing that. I think I the so. plant-based, the plant-based revolution is in full force. We've got Greta Thunberg out there. You know, people like David Attenborough, who has been a champion of every type of animal all over this planet. Uh, the work that he's done for his lifelong, like 60 years of showing us animals, showing us the beauty and the importance of our fellow earthlings, our fellow earthlings. And so the kids are like, well, I ain't eating that. I'm doing a Beyond Burger. I'm doing an Impossible Burger. I mean, the Canadian government, God bless them, just invested $100 million in plant-based stuff in, in that research and how we can make it better. And that's so amazing for farmers. Any of you guys out there listening that have cattle, you know, and I understand that animals are important for grasslands. I get it. I know the science. Trust me, I read everything. I don't just sit here and flap my jaw. I understand the importance of that ground being moved and churned and those grasses being eaten. Doesn't mean we have to eat the beings that are eating it. Doesn't mean we have to have 4 million of them out there. It means that we have to have a couple thousand. All those that land can be used to grow the soy and the peas and the lentils and the, the things that are, you know, being used to make these proteins, these really great, God, they've come a long way. I'm vegan. Trust me. In the four years I've been vegan, I cannot believe what's available to me now. 
And the science is on your side. That's the, that's the especially frustrating thing because it, it's one thing to say, I really care about animals. And so I'm going to maybe make a personal sacrifice for my own health because I, I just truly care about my pet or, and I, and, and I really feel that animals are sentient and the evidence is there. And I, and I want to treat them with, with respect and with dignity, but also the science is on our side as it relates to yeah. health even. So it's, it's bizarre when you see all of the factors, all the things we care about, we care about tackling climate change. We obviously don't want to live through a pandemic. We want a healthier society, especially for our kids. And yet, and yet it's very hard for us to transform these food systems. And it does come down ultimately to dollars and cents. My wife is a vegan chef and nutrition professor at George Brown. And I have, as much as I have been an advocate for animals in parliament, I've, I've actually thought she has made a bigger difference in many respects because she has been focused on that question of food transformation. And it is now a question that I, as I turn over my advocacy on animals to say, what can I do in federal parliament? I, I'm very much focused on this question of food systems. When we had this conversation in the last parliament about improving in a more humane way our animal transport laws, the question we confronted constantly was, is this going to make it more expensive? And, and in some cases, the answer is yes. And because it should be more expensive because humanity costs more. I, I, it's just frustrating to be constantly confronted by that as if that's a, a, a perfect answer or an end answer. Yes, sometimes to fulfill our moral obligations costs more. You look at the food pyramid from you know, the 60s and the 50s. It's really so funny to look at. I think what we have been sold to the point where it's it's infuriating is the protein thing. And I'll keep going back to this because people think, you know, where, where the meat thing was always on this little food pyramid, the Canadian food guide, it, it, it should never have been there to begin with. It's so expensive. Meat is way out of, you know, there, there's been so much food insecurity this last 11 months because of COVID. It was there before in droves. There's a lot of starving families and kids going to school hungry right across this country, coast to coast in, in none of it. There, there's food insecurity big time here. And meat is such a part of the problem because it it's way beyond what anyone can really put plug into their thing. But because they have because they have been trying to feed us that idea that this is the only place you're going to get it. And it's, it's sad because people could learn in a matter of a couple of weeks of the fantastical things that you can make and, and, and really save your family thousands of dollars every year. As it relates to the Canada Food Guide, when we were having this conversation there was a lot of pushback from the agricultural industry to say, well, you have to consider our economic interests. And the answer rightly was to say, hang on a second, this is education for our kids. This is education for the general public about what is healthy for them to eat. It should be based on the science, not lobbying and, 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 and economic interests. Thankfully, we now have a, a plant-based, evidence-based Canada food guide. And so when we talk about transforming our food systems, we now need to actually federal and provincial support to operationalize that food guide because just having it on paper isn't enough. We need our economic and, and government support systems to deliver that food guide into Canadian households. Well, it's happening. It's happening. We're seeing it everywhere. People are so inundated. We never heard this kind of 
jargon, the plant-based yeah. jargon. This yeah. this wasn't even around three years ago. It's just gaining speed. You yeah. know, I remember having conversations with Brian Adams years ago. Brian has been vegan for probably 40 years. And uh, I remember just him talking about, we had this protein conversation and and he actually really encouraged me too. He's just like, you don't even need to do the fish anymore. I'm like, I know it's the last thing. And I don't need to do it. The the seas, there's not going to be anything left in there. And they're really talking about in the next 20 or 30 years, there's 50 or 60% of species that they think will be absolutely on the brink of extinction. Like we really have to be mindful. And people like Greta Thunberg, who I, I have so much respect for this young girl to be at the mercy of grown men that attack her physically, attack her Asperger's, attack her, her, her appearance and her parents and death threats and cartoons. Here she is, uh, a hero in my mind, you know, pounding that drum to get young people to at least wake up to know what's happening. You don't have to eat like your parents. You don't have to eat like your grandparents. It's not 48 BC. It's changed. And and we are going to be perceived in a very precarious way, even a hundred years from now, how this society has turned its back at, at animals and, and their plight. So let's hope we turn it around. I feel like there's something happening, Nate. I feel positive about it. And people like you that are in a member of parliament that can bring these things up. And I know it gets tedious and I know it's frustrating. Um, it's like speaking to somebody with no ears. But <laughs> I think I think eventually you get through to one person and you get through to the next person and and they tell somebody i i felt like the caucus was very open-minded yeah you know everyone everyone that we spoke with that day was just like how can we help exactly and it was very encouraging i mean we all talked afterwards the two rebecca's myself and and seneca and, and we felt like crying because we felt heard and at least noticed and i'm hopeful on the question of horseshit and the live export of horses. I am hopeful there's a place for cross-party support as well. I I know there there's a conservative, Len Weber, who has been vocal on animal issues previously. I've worked with Michelle Rempel in the past on, on animal issues. And I'm hopeful that that will also help move the conversation forward because it becomes, as soon as it becomes politicized where the liberals support one thing and the conservatives say, Oh, you're attacking her- our heritage in some way. And, and you want to do this. And it's a slippery slope. And, you know, I, when I introduced uh, an animal welfare bill, an animal protection bill in the last parliament, I was accused of wanting to criminalize. If you bopped a fish on the head in your boat, you were going to be subject to the criminal code or something. And it was, it was laughable. I was like, is this, is this real? Is this, is this a debate that is happening in parliament right now? But, but they, you know, it, it, you want to avoid that level of misinformation and to try and bring all parties together as much as reasonably possible. Yeah. It's not our heritage to, to, uh, to slaughter and eat horses. Exactly. And it's not our heritage to put them on us on an aircraft and ship them across the ocean to be eaten raw. Exactly. That's not part of our heritage. And that's my question. Once again, are we horse people or are we not? We can't be both. Exactly. And there is a place for domestic slaughter. We have to be sensible about it. There's horses that need to be put down humanely. There's, you know, you can't always have a vet come out for 500 bucks and, and euthanize a horse. We have to be responsible. I tell this to vegans all the time. You know, you can't just be this all or nothing mentality 
And, you know, I, I always encourage people if they have one plant-based meal a week, I'm like, good for you. It, it can't be this judgmental thing. And I don't, and, and I want to say this, you know, before we say goodbye, we are not telling people what to eat. We are telling people that this little piece of the pie of putting big horses on an airplane that scares the shit out of them and they meet a very grim end. We can do better than that. We don't have to ship them over there. Domestic slaughter is a whole thing completely different. And people go, well, you're not, you're not doing, I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm eliminating that flight. And that's what I want to do. I really appreciate both your advocacy, but also even your discussion of how you came to a plant-based diet, because when it comes to the advocacy, being very focused in a legislative way to say, we're going to get the government to act on this one specific thing, I think is the path to get that, that real action. And I also really appreciate just that notion of one plant-based meal or meeting people where they are at in a, in a positive way, because I think that is how we change minds in the end. You didn't become vegan overnight. It took me three years. Exactly. And, and, and we just, we just need to ask people to do better bit by bit by bit until we get to a place where, where we'll see this in the rearview mirror. I, I, my, my last, my, my last comment, because my wife is waiting, but, but I did ask my wife last night, do you have any questions for Jan Arden? And she said, no, She's the whole package. She's funny and witty. She swears. She has a voice of an angel and she cares about animals. And that's all she wanted me to tell you. Well, I'm going to hug your wife when we're allowed to hug people again. <laughs> um, but I appreciate your time, it, it, you know, and I appreciate your passion and we can change things. Don't anyone out there listening ever feel, don't feel helpless. Take a look at your plate. If you can change something once a week and, you know, don't, doesn't have to be anything fancy or, or, or intimidating or chickpea foam on a tofu. You don't have to do that. Have some pasta, have, have a lentil soup, have something simple once a week. That's a great place to start, but sign the petition. Come and see us at horseshit.ca and we can explain what's going on and why we want to stop it. And you can get yourself a t-shirt, you can donate. And more than anything, you can be aware. Awareness is going to stop this. It's just a little piece of the pie. We can do it together. And uh, I just appreciate your time and let's do this. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. I'll do everything on my end in Parliament to, to see it through. And when this is all over, as far as the pandemic goes, and you find yourself in Toronto, you are welcome anytime for a plant-based dinner. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to eat something. I can't wait for your wife to whip me up something. You're stuck <laughs> with me now, Nate. Um, I love it. I steady love it. on, stay safe. You too. And, uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Take care. Bye. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Uncommons. It's not every day I'm joined by a guest who makes Amy want to listen to me speak more than she already has to. Again, do remember to visit horseshit.ca to support the campaign, to find out more, and to help end this cruel practice. Until next time. <laughs>